0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Biz Dads, episode number 26.
1: It's good to be back. Andres and I came back from the woods and survived. Uh, we got Halloween coming up. We'll tell you a little bit about our camping trips, some funny stories that came from that. A lot of sports and biz talk this week. It's probably more biz than sports. Cul-de-sac chat about YouTube and your kids. A fun talks with Twist. Glad to have her back this week. And then our final four, the best Halloween costume you have ever done.
0: Let's get into it. This week's Biz Dads. All right, Andres.
1: Camping, scouts, handful of families, handful of crazy kids, mostly boys. It was a wild weekend.
2: Yeah. uh, All I have to say is that was a good call on us clearing out a dodge. It rained so hard on Saturday, and after being there last year when it rained – Saturday night, I was glad that we uh, hightailed it out, but man, I've been thinking about the weekend, you know, we had what, 17 folks in our group, and we were the first folks to arrive and set up, and the first thing that struck me was just how few people were there this year due to COVID, which was cool, I mean, we had the whole, really felt like we had the whole place to ourselves. Man, I don't know, Renzo and all those points, I'm kinda glad it was a small group, I guess. Uh it was fun. I so glad we went, but my goodness. So, I said to Renzo at dinner last night, Who were your favorite boys? Without being the guilty, he pretty much named the the three that were on their worst behavior all weekend. Oh okay. good. As they were the most fun. I was like,
1: perfect. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> good. Hopefully one of those wasn't Andrew. Um, oh, and, you know, man. it was, uh, it, it was a fun weekend be- for everybody that doesn't know what a scouting weekend looks like. You get there Friday night. Um, you obviously have to set up tent. You get dinner as a camp. Saturday morning is fully cram packed all day long, right? So you're going, going, going from 9am when activities start till about 5, 530. So this trip, um, we both knew that we were coming back Saturday night anyway, because we had what we thought was going to be a tournament on Sunday. Um, but the rain was coming in and we had made the decision. And the entire camp actually decided to break camp. We'll talk more about that in a second. But what I, you know, we get up in the morning and one of the things that you can never get used to is how loud every single thing is when you are snoring or, or when, when people are snoring around a camp and everyone is sleeping outside. I remember I went to bed at like 1230 or something. I was sitting around the campfire and... You know, our tents were pretty close to each other. You guys were were no problem at all. But I could hear everything that was going on around the camp. And I'm like, damn, there's just a lot of people making a lot of noise this late at night. And then Andrew, because the cold air got to Andrew at like 4 o'clock in the morning, Andrew started coughing. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is a COVID tent. With People are going to start questioning at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking at my watch going, I cannot believe it is this early. So I never went back to sleep, really
2: no oh, i didn't either i was up at 4:30 on saturday morning and when i started hearing him cough i kept thinking to myself man they're bailing out and they're not going to want to be here all day with him sick cuz I, I didn't know if it was he was cut he was catching a cold or fighting a cold but i'm glad the kid uh, the kids had fun and i'm glad he was all right yeah. it uh it was sure was it was a packed uh it was a packed uh, weekend or Saturday the some some funny highlights uh, from the trip for sure that we will uh, will remember for a long time I didn't I didn't realize that being afraid of uh, haunted hay rack rides was hereditary but apparently I have passed that gene down to my son because we were on the hay rack ride at 930 in the morning in broad daylight it was our first excursion and I mean, bless his heart, he was just curled up in a little ball. And I was really afraid of haunted houses and doing anything like that when I was his age. My dad used to drag us to those, and my brother and I were like, no, thank you. I think it was the trauma of one time we went to one, and it was like an abandoned warehouse. And we're feeling pretty good and confident about it, and out comes... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre with literally a running chainsaw, obviously without the chain, the blade, and the saw. But it, uh, I was done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize this. I well, see, I missed the hayride because I was getting camp cleaned up, and Kim met you guys the second outing. But um, I didn't realize that there was a there was a scary hayride. But my favorite event of the whole day. <laughs> Was capture the flag because we had um, our group with another group and the other scouts, needless to say, this was like the third or fourth thing in and everybody, they were all kind of tired and, and cranky. So the other pack, I don't think had any business being there. And we had this group of uber competitive kids that were ready to just, you know, go straight viking quest on the, these kids flags. They were ready to pillage because the whole thing was pirate themed right? So the dude that was leading the other group was all dressed up in a full pirate garb um, and they they had no business being there. And then uh, here comes <laughs> here comes Ben, super competitive these kids all developed a plan which is pretty cool. They all developed a plan really worked together as a team. But Ben comes up climbs to the top of the haystack, grabs this (laughs) giant pole with this flag on it, and jumps, leaps off of it like he is, you know, blackbeard and takes out one of the girls in our own pack with the flagpole. And, all right, the whole thing comes to an end. So, you know, we had, what, three attempts at this game. The first one we won and it was over in like forty five seconds. The second one, Ben completely takes out one of our own teammates because he's in just trying to go as full speed as possible. And then the third one, we had another kid go down.
2: And between... Our one our one scout, our one girl scout who's in the pack got hit in the head with a wooden flagpole. Right. I mean
1: by my kid, uh... which is always fun. It's like, oh god.
2: And you know what's so funny is, of all the activities that we did that day, I mean, we shot BBs. I mean, think about this. The kid's six years old. Renzo's six years old, right? I guess set this up. He's six years old. So we, we shoot BB guns. We shoot bow and arrows. We shoot slingshots. We played capture the flag. We played a relay race.
1: A tug of war.
2: A tug of war. And I said to him on Sunday after i figured he processed it a little bit i said what was your favorite activity and i could have sworn that he would have said shooting a bb gun or you know a slingshot making pirate hats (laughs) 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 the actual craft activity Mm, uh for all those listening brad brad was uh brad was awesome in in leading the charge uh getting us to where we needed to be and I know we were planning to bag the very last excursion before the scouts pulled pulled the plug on the last three, but I was um I was shocked when he said that. I thought for sure the kids, you know, loved shooting BBs or something, but it was a fun weekend and man, I'm I'm glad we got through all that with uh without hitting all that rain is all I gotta say.
1: Dude, my favorite part was watching each parent have to intervene and, and discipline their kid in between each. Like it was almost automatic. Like we were handing a baton to one another. The first after the first activity, one parent yelled at their kid. After the second activity another parent yelled at their kid. It was just this ongoing um <laughs> series of discipline. Uh, but anyway, it was fun. The kids I think they all worked really well together and, and had fun. It was a it was a good trip and I'm glad we got out of there for the rain because that rain home was for real. At one point I had t- I had water coming up like halfway over our tires it was so deep on 20 anyway how are you guys looking for halloween you guys uh you guys gonna be out and about on halloween yeah
2: we yeah we are gonna be out and about we all have costumes now uh i shouldn't spill the beans and and share but i will just because halloween's on saturday before we're gonna record next week's show so so i'm probably the the most boring of the five I am dressing up as a baseball player in honor of the world series all right uh, which should be over by then uh my wife is going to go as a referee she does a good job you know during all the kids in the neighborhood a referee so okay. she's dressing up as a yeah. as a ref Frankie is going as uh, Hermione Granger. Hermione, yeah she's dressing up for Harry Potter she just finished reading the uh third of the first three books so she's way into Harry Potter right now. And uh, she borrowed the costume from Ben. Yeah. And she's super pumped about that. Uh, Renzo is going as a ninja, complete with two light-up swords that he got in the mail um, that will probably be broken by Saturday.
1: He was the Red Power Ranger for uh, Saturday's Trick-or-Treating.
2: Yeah, he camp. was. He was, yeah. And then uh, Maximo, the littlest one, um, our four-year-old, is a fireman. He's definitely going to win the most adorable award I'm, I'm proud of him he's never really wanted to wear the full mask costume but this year he's dressed up in a full red fireman costume complete with pigeon so we're uh yeah so we're gonna get out and about i think we're just gonna walk around the neighborhood it's the first time halloween's been on a saturday in a long time so
1: saturday a full moon daylight savings time what could go wrong
2: yeah what about you guys
1: Yeah, we're going out. I'm not planning on dressing up this year. Margaret Ann, uh, you know, has her very can Halloween tutu that she wears. We decorate the golf cart and drive around uh, the neighborhood. But the the boys this year, Andrew is going as Minecraft Steve. If you don't know what Minecraft is, it's a game that has completely obsessed my youngest child, and we limited his ability, his time watching it, but. He is totally obsessed with, like, building Minecraft Legos and all this kind of stuff. And they use it in school, I guess. There's an educational version, which is kind of neat. Um, ben, <laughs> ben is going as the Fiend, which is a very scary clown-looking wrestler from the WWE. Ben has a habit of getting costumes, and the day of Halloween, he does not wear them. So that Harry Potter costume that you're borrowing, uh, I'm pretty sure none of it was worn. Uh, For actually Halloween. I think he wore it for a trick-or-treat on Turner Street at at Margaret Ann's office. But that was it. So I'm assuming that that's going to all happen again. Because normally about three hours before time to go trick-or-treating on Halloween, he changes his mind and decides he doesn't want to dress up as anything. And it's always a pain in the butt. So anyway. I
0: wonder where he gets that from. Because you don't dress up. You need to dress up and inspire them.
1: And I have four costume trophies. To uh, well, they
0: didn't see that.
1: Showcase how serious I take this holiday. But this year, and with the kids, it's um, you know it's just about them. And on top of it, I was actually telling Ben, this is a funny story. I was telling Ben what my dad used to do for Halloween, and he wants me to do this. So my dad would sit in a rocking chair at next to our front porch, or on our front porch next to our front door. And he would wear like raggedy jeans, big old boots, um, a flannel, and a like a wolf monster mask, full face covering. And he would sit there perfectly still. And these kids, every time they'd come up to the house, they'd see him sitting there. And my dad is, you know, a mountain of a man. He wouldn't move or say anything. And these kids would gingerly take one step up, then the second step up. And the third, by the time they got to the top, he would jump out of that chair and they would totally shit their pants and take off down the street. And I was telling Ben that story and uh, he's like, you've got to do that. You've got to do that. I'm like, this is not the year to scare the hell out of kids as they try to come get trick or <laughs> think. Well, that we'll get into that next year. We'll start. as the kids get a little older? That's when Halloween. I think it gets really fun when the kids get into the like, 8 to 12 year range. Because then you can really scare him and not feel that bad. You can't scare the younger ones. All right, let's jump into this week's sports and biz news. So, Andres, the World Series is going on. And I don't know if you've been watching it, but I have been keeping up to it probably more than normal this year. Only because, and I'm probably one of very few, because I you know, was so invested with the Braves and uh, haven't been, you know, Didn't watch the NBA or any of that, but it's been really kind of tied to baseball. As we talked about, you know, you have baseball just about every night now. Um, There was one play that ended game four totally nuts. And it's just good to see two teams battling so hard. The the Rays and the Dodgers, I think the Dodgers took a one-game lead last night, so we'll see if they can close it out. But one of the coolest finishes to a game I've ever seen, I don't know if you saw it, but it was a sharp hit, doubled to third, man on first and second, The runner on second scores. The runner on first is making his way down to score. Um, He slips and falls. The relay comes home. The catcher doesn't realize that the guy had slips and falls, made a sweeping tag, loses the ball. The runner can get up and scores, and they win the game, 8-7. Totally nuts. I mean, that's what I love about baseball. It was so great to watch, but... I, from what I've seen, the ratings have have just been god awful. I mean, you've got the Dodgers, which obviously is a huge market, but the Rays with no big name talent except for this kind of new is Arizona, uh Arizona that is uh, is coming. I mean, it's totally a big name to be, but tough year to be to, for these sports ratings, man.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Tampa Bay as a, a city is having a remarkable year between the Lightning. Tom Brady's finally got got it going with the bucks and now you have uh what a run from the rays yeah. so
1: Tom Brady looking 30 years old and I should probably exactly. pronounce the other guy's name right Uro Arena I should say that right and get that on the record but yeah you know it's uh I guess it's a good time to be a Tampa Bay fan
2: Yeah I what I think is pretty cool about Tampa Bay is the uh you know small market team I grew up a huge Royals fan ownership never really had the financial wherewithal, I guess, to compete from an investing standpoint. So they built their farm team up, and the Rays. It's pretty fascinating the the front office, the the guys that they've brought in to run the team, the ownership group. Uh, they've now spanned out all over baseball, and uh, I know Sabermetrics was really big, and obviously Billy Bean with the A's uh, and the team and the Moneyball, like that whole era. This is like a new, I guess, a new new crop of executives. And I was reading a story about them last week. And it turns out that the architect of the Dodgers came to Tampa Bay for an office. So it's pretty neat. And that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me about baseball is and you talked about it last week on our show with the Braves, is managing payroll, trying to figure out, you know, how do you build a roster, um, and, and the kinds of things that go into like the Rays, it's it's less about one through five for them, like the top five players, and it's more about having a really solid player like six through whatever thirty or how many how many players are on the major league roster, which is kind of an interesting approach. And they even went with a somewhat of a controversial move during the regular season in terms of how they uh, didn't put their starting pitcher in to start; they started in their bullpen yep. and. Some of the baseball purists, like Granky, for the uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, came out and really blasted them for doing that. But it, it was again; it was all about they had a formula that they felt worked, and clearly it has, getting them to the World Series, yeah, within yeah. two wins of a, of a title.
1: Yeah, you know it's been it's been good to watch. You got to have those types of stories in sports, in my opinion. So I'm cheering on the. Cheer on the Rays, man. Hopefully they can pull it out. What is also interesting in Major League Baseball, I saw an article today that the 30 clubs have amassed $8.3 billion in debt. They're looking at about $3 billion in operational losses this year. So uh, Manfred was out there kind of just talking about how this you know, historic debt is is going to impact the league. You know, and if they have to go another season, like, you know, there's an article in the story in the AJC today about um, the Braves getting ready for next year's all-star game without fans. If you can't have fans in stands going into next year, I mean, that that is going to be crippling. You may actually lose teams. I think there's already a tremendous impact that most people don't realize uh, in minor league baseball um, with major league baseball taking that over. And a lot of minor league baseball clubs are gonna shutter, which means a lot of small towns are gonna have empty ballparks with with nothing to fill them a tremendous amount of money and bonds and all that kind of stuff that went to building those things because you know those are tourist traps for um for some of these small towns and if a you know a place like Tampa Bay is you know already bootstrapping it and you have to layer on this top of this type of debt there's just no way they're going to be able to survive. You know, I just I, I it's it's terrible to see and I don't think we will see the impact of this coronavirus thing until probably 2022 because most people are going to have to really bank on a 20 a huge 21 and if they can't survive or people in certain markets won't go out and support these things Man, they won't make it.
2: Yeah, speaking of of sports, a uh, shout-out to my brother. He sent me an article that came out, I guess, and you probably saw this, there it was a study, frankly, that came out a couple of uh, days ago that PWC did, I think, around sports. But it talked about the impact that COVID has had on sports. And what I took away from it is that traditional sports – are as you just highlighted likely to suffer for the next few years whereas areas that are like uh, sports betting online gambling e-sports i guess all the digital areas within sports entertainment so and and i think a lot of those teams are going to be looking at those new strategies they're going to be looking to implement some of these new strategies as a way to generate revenue and engage fans i would think
1: we're going to have to get really creative. I don't know. I don't know how a lot of these programs, like I said, are going to survive, but they're going to have to get really creative. We're going to have to get very, very uh, creative in what they do. So maybe we'll come up with some ideas on this show and, uh, and get rich selling them to all these pro teams. Let's work on that. <laughs> so tell me about uh, – you and I were talking a little bit in the pre-show about um, – The largest ever IPO. Let's jump into a little bit of more business-focused news.
2: Well, speaking of companies that may be flush with cash later this week to make some investments in struggling sports franchises, Ant Group, yes, Ant as in the bug, Ant Group, uh, which is a uh, financial technology company that spun out of Alibaba. Um, It is a powerhouse in basically anything related to consumer finance in China they are set to raise 34 and a half billion dollars when shares start trading in hong kong and shanghai they're listing them on two exchanges uh potentially as early as uh the next couple of weeks there's a couple of things about this this ipo that are i think pretty fascinating first and foremost uh they're avoiding listing or they're they're working the ipo without having to list the shares in the u.s and the growth of of chinese capital markets uh it would have been literally unfathomable for a big global company their size to raise this much capital sell this many shares without you know at least a portion of it being listed in the united states you know because we have the deepest broadest most liquid capital markets so the fact that they already are oversubscribed and likely retail investors will have a harder time even getting a piece of this at least initially is pretty remarkable uh and it's definitely going to be the largest ipo in history the second largest uh just by comparison was just under 30 billion and then just a few other things that just kind of sort of are a little eye-opening for people in i guess in my world they're going to be valued more coming the block like the JP Morgan, then MasterCard, I mean these big global companies, these global brands. So I just think you're gonna hear a lot more about ant financial in the years to come. I don't think they're gonna stay just in, in China, uh, and in, in Hong Kong. I think they'll they'll look to grow. Jack Ma, who's the the founder of Alibaba and the spinoff, is uh is sort of the Jeff Bezos of China and he's a, he's got a fascinating story um in and of himself so yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely a uh a big you know it's a it's a big deal it's a big transaction and it's uh and certainly something along with all the other things that have happened in china uh and all the news that uh has been made in china uh geopolitically and just in terms of covid it's uh it's definitely a bright spot
1: so does will alibaba have any ownership in Ant Financial? I mean, I know that obviously they're going to have to probably go buy stock, talk, but do they own it or was it a total spinoff to where they're not really tied to it anymore?
2: No, uh, no, Jack, I think I read Jack Ma and his, you know, his ownership will probably remain about a third, about 30% of the company. So his stake, if it is valued at uh, $330 billion, makes him a pretty wealthy person. The, 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 and this is just, one of a series of businesses that have been spun out of Alibaba. Obviously Alibaba is the big, you know, the big Amazon of, of China, but then you have Alipay and now you have Ant Financial and Ant Financial is kind of a a combination. If you compared it, it would basically be like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or JP Morgan and American Express or MasterCard or Discovery, like being in one. And then, throwing in like a, you know, like a Goldman Sachs or some other, you know, big Wall Street firm, like all of that under one one umbrella. And then you, you start to realize how they have literally 700 million monthly users of their service. So it, the numbers are just kind of hard to get your, your head around compared to anything here in the U.S.
1: Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I own a little bit of Alibaba stock, and I just watch it kind of daily. It's just fascinating. I mean, not that it's doing anything, but just that you try to read up a little bit about it as a layman, and um, know some people who've done business with them. It's just what a company.
2: If you look at PayPal, it's it has about three hundred and fifty million monthly users, and and financials about double, and they're not even they're not even public yet. So. It'll be, a, it'll be an interesting one to watch in the years ahead.
1: Well, hopefully uh, it, it impacts my Alibaba stock and it goes the right way. Um, <laughs> one, of, you know, one of the interesting things, and um, we've got a meeting coming up with them here soon, so it's been really fascinating to watch, but uh, our own Inspire Brands here, um, Rourke Capital, also you know, a fund here in Georgia, owns Inspire Brands. Inspire Brands owns Buffalo Wild Wings. They own now Jimmy John's they recently bought. They own Arby's, which you know, Arby's was kind of one of the original ones. They bought Sonic, um, which is totally, supposedly was crushing it during COVID. And now they're looking at the world famous Dunkin' Brands to, to bring that back private.
2: Crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, the talks are underway according to most, you know, most folks. They're pretty far along. All the, you know, all the stars kind of align here. If you look at Rourke, this is, their, this is their playbook is buying franchised, you know, fast food or quick service restaurants that are 100% typically franchise owned. I think there's 18,000 stores, if I, if I read that correctly. I've always felt that Dunkin' could be a much bigger brand in Georgia, I don't know about you, Brad, but like when you go grab a cup of coffee, if you're a uh, grab it from home and take it with you in the car, like if there's a place I've always been a Dunkin person. I didn't grow up with it. Uh, my kids love the donuts, but I know some people like hate the coffee. Um, I I always felt like it was a, a brand that could be bigger in Georgia. Uh, well, so they, it'll be stopped. interesting to see if. You know, if that's part of their expansion, if they do, in fact, take it private. uh, But for sure, Rourke, I mean, they're a very under the radar private equity firm. Uh, People in the private equity industry and and on Wall Street know them. But um, Neil Aronson and his brother actually is the general counsel. But it's it's definitely a success story here, right here in Atlanta. I mean, and you talked about it, some of the brands that they have, including, you know, Moe's and... Uh, you mentioned Sonic and Arby's and on and on and on.
1: Yeah, I mean it's incredible, and they
2: so, uh, the brands only get better. We'll have to see. I mean,
1: they bought Jimmy John's when Jimmy John's was just continuing to skyrocket. They have done masterful things with Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, one of the the things I hated seeing most, really, besides that missing the basketball, they had a promotion where they were going to give away and build out. A kind of a suite for someone to live in during march madness at a buffalo wild wings i just got to give it up to their their marketers from what they do with arby's what they do with with buffalo wild wings i mean the guys that i've had a chance to work with are just brilliant and it's just so creative um you know such a such a creative approach in the way that they really tap into um kind of the the passion people have for sports on the buffalo Wings side or you know, n- narrowing in on their niche market for Arby's with their, you know, we have the Meats campaign and uh, the success they had with the Pharrell hat and, and all of that is kind of what sparked it. But it just seems like everything Rourke gets behind is more and more successful. Um, so I have no doubt that, you know, Duncan will will continue to grow. I'm a Duncan guy myself. I either drink coffee that I make at home. Um, I drink boring black coffee, but... I don't like Starbucks coffee. I think this is a traditionally a Starbucks market, and that's when you know Dunkin' has not necessarily gone in and tried to just completely own Starbucks markets where they're new. Um, you know, We've always had Dunkin' Donuts down here, but nothing like what you see with Starbucks on every corner. And now you go up to the Northeast, there's a Dunkin' every every block and a half. Um, <clears throat> a driving community like we have down here, I don't think the Dunkin' model is as... Appealing um, to most. That model in general isn't as appealing to most. And we talked about the Starbucks piece. You know, Starbucks does something that Duncan doesn't. And, and, you know, one of the things that we heard and learned in some marketing stuff around Starbucks that I've always been fascinated by is that Starbucks actually has a kind of underlying, you know, approach or strategy, whatever you want to call it. You know, they ask the question of what does Starbucks do? You think Starbucks sells coffee, right? And you think what does Starbucks really do? Well, Starbucks creates an experience for you to enjoy their coffee, a place for you to work outside of your office. You know, they buy machines that are that are specifically loud, they infuse smells that create a an appealing environment. But then they actually take it one step further and they say, what do what does Starbucks really really do? And their core mission is to actually be the third place in your life. Your home, your work, Starbucks. And that's much bigger than selling coffee and donuts, obviously. So I think uh you know, Duncan it'll be interesting to see what Inspire Brands does with Duncan if they make any changes or if they stick with the kind of, you know, more blue collar grab and go coffee approach. Um, you know, good quality product and uh and get it and go. And that's it.
2: Well we th- yeah, we talked about this on a prior show, the formula for What's happening with companies? How are they how are they being financed, and what does all the cheap debt and banks' willingness to lend really mean? And if you look at restaurant, the restaurant industry in general historically has been an industry that private equity has been attracted to because it affords you know higher multiples. Um, of leverage or higher terms of leverage, meaning they can put more debt on the balance sheet. And I would be, you know, and the margins are, are really good in, in beverages, right? So, yeah. in, especially in coffee. So, I, I would expect that uh, availability of cheap financing and the ability to lever up the business, uh, I could see this transaction getting done. What's, what's really interesting is if you look at the share price of Duncan in March, when COVID hit, people were staying home, right? And to your point in markets like Atlanta and and other places around the country, like they weren't getting in their cars and driving to work. They weren't driving to Starbucks. and So second quarter sales really tanked. Uh, People are starting to get back out. And I think, you know, they must be looking at this long-term and saying people are gonna start commuting again. People are gonna start getting back into their routines. It may take a year or two, but they're playing the long game and they get so many synergies across their portfolio of restaurant businesses. When you think about the purchasing and where they're sourcing, and all the operational expertise that they they've got at a firm that size to bring in executives and bring in marketees and bring in, you know, cost cutting and things of that nature. Uh, it'll it'll be, yeah, it, it'll be a couple of weeks or so before we really know, but. Yeah, thirty and change is what the stock was trading at after COVID, and today it's over 100 a share. So, if you had the uh, if you, if you had the stomach to buy, you know, stock in uh, in March or April, you've you've been uh, handsomely rewarded uh, for Duncan.
1: Well, I'm you know again, it's my favorite coffee, so I hope you see more and more of them down here. All right, man, good stuff. Well, hey, let's jump into uh, the cul-de-sac chat for this week. What do you say? Let's get into it. All right, Andres, so I've got a dilemma here I need your help with. So, Ben and Andrew want to start a YouTube channel. And, you know, we try to limit what they watch from YouTube. And they're you're pretty good at it. They don't watch a ton of TV or a ton of iPad. Um, but when they do, they're watching a handful of these kids who... It's done a couple things. One, these... 20 somethings that have become multi millionaires by recording what ultimately equates to crap or stupid challenges or whatever has got these kids completely locked in. Now, Ben has he has created Ben and Andrew both have created this very annoying habit where they are infatuated with cars. These YouTubers have Lamborghinis and G Wagons and Ferraris and Teslas. Um, so now my kids are obsessed with luxury vehicles. I'm not a car guy. I can't even fit in one of those luxury cars. Um, but they're obsessed with these vehicles and it all stems from these guys having these, you know, uh, these YouTube channels. They see this 20 something year old kid, you know, Stephen Scherer jump in his bright blue Lamborghini and, and drive around LA or drive around his other house in Virginia. Um, so that started the conversation with him about how do they make money doing YouTube. And I explained to him kind of how the YouTube model works. You know, his mom and I are both in marketing and advertising. It's something that we pay close attention to. And we were able to kind of share the details with the boys about how it works. So then they decided that they want to start their own YouTube channel. And it's become kind of a fun, and for me, it's become an impressive uh, experience with them because they created a name for it it's called the combine kids twist created a cool logo i think we may have to change it twist but they they created and we they did their very first one right with our buddies at the lake where we were tubing and we did like this two and a half minute compilation of them just completely wiping out on the tube which was fun probably more for me than it was for them but i had to edit it right and i don't have the skills of producer twist and i had to use you know the software on my mac to get it set up and to You know, there's all kinds of things you have to worry about, about music rights infringements and all this kind of stuff. So Ben is, Andrew probably just as much. Both boys are what I would call super persistent. And when they get something in their mind, they don't want to let it go. I'm sure that's the way both of these kids, right? But they now want to do the full-fledged. Ben's been grabbing the iPad and filming episodes that I haven't edited or put up, but he's been filming these. These moments. Today, he filmed an entire episode, and this is not a joke, about stocks. Him explaining stocks to other kids. And he explained it pretty correctly. He and I have had multiple conversations around stocks and what it means to buy a share. He talks about it with his grandfather a lot. And um, I was listening to him going, damn, like... This could actually be a pretty neat little thing for other kids to learn. If he's not going to do, you know, dumb crap and how long can I sit on a trampoline kind of stuff that they like watching with the garbage that you usually see or watching other people play video games and he does stuff like that, I could be supportive of it. But I'd give you all of this lead up just to, to, to kind of throw it out there that, you know, I'm torn on whether or not I go through with this. It seems like a whole hell of a lot of work, right? You got... These kids out there, like Ryan, this 8-year-old kid who opens toys for a living, who banked $26 million last year opening toys, right? you got a girl, uh, a young girl out of London, I think who's 4 years old, made $20 million last year. So I'm seeing this going, yeah, that's very few and far between, right? Everybody that tries to do a YouTube channel thinks they can make that kind of money. But... I'm trying to explain all of this to Ben and how this isn't real world and and all of that. And then you have the safety stuff to worry about, right? You're putting your kids' likeness out there. So I'm torn, right? And I don't know exactly how to feel about all of it, but I throw it out there for our cul-de-sac chat. I'd love your opinion.
2: Well, there's a lot of dimensions to what you're talking about. I mean, I think from the standpoint of something fun, something creative, something uh, enterprising, entrepreneurial, I mean, I think there's a lot of good right? That the starting, starting a little business, I know Frankie started doing bracelets uh, and she started making bracelets uh, out of beads and she started selling them around the neighborhood. And then, you know, teachers and other people in the community, I would say a little bit die. Uh, she's just busy, but I think it's awesome that the boys want to take the initiative and, you know, get something started. I think them going through the process of organizing, and scripting and filming and figuring out a way to edit and figuring out a way to manage the technology i think all that's cool i think where you you have obviously probably where your head's at is you know how much time do you want them you know absorbed in social media and right. obviously you know the moment you put stuff up there they design all of it so that you keep coming back looking for feedback and it becomes the circle you know this virtual thing maybe they won't Care maybe for them it's just putting it up there, but yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds like it sounds like it's pretty innocent and harmless at this point. And if you tell me that you know Ben's already into building his knowledge around stocks, man, I, I, I want to subscribe.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, I'm telling you, I if it's that kind of thing, I'm all for it, but of course, you know, he did a drawing one, he did a baseball drill one. Um, he wants to do trick shots, you know, the dude perfect, culture that we're in, but you know who takes the most time, whose time it takes the most of is mine because i got to film it and edit it and put it Uh, up there. So it doesn't look like garbage. And, you know, for me, it's like, I can let him just throw it up there and it probably, you know, is just videos that live on the internet and never go anywhere, but I, I want it to look good. So. I'm, I'm really torn. I, and plus, on top of it, I think the. I haven't. I've heard from so many people who have watched this uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to watch that because everyone I've talked to said your whole opinion changes on social media and, and YouTube and all that stuff, and your information being out there when you watch that documentary. So we'll have to uh, share more with our listeners as we dive into it. But that's this week's Hold a Sec chat. All right, Andres, a special little feature here, a segment that we haven't done in a while. Let's turn it over to Producer Twist for a little Talks with Twist.
0: So this talk got a whole lot more interesting during this podcast, and I cannot wait to tell y'all. So Talks with Twist and I is all going to be about dating and your wives and everything about them. So I'll get to the exciting part, but our first question is, would you ever go on a dating show if you were my age today? The reason I asked that, because I was about to go on a dating show and I don't know if I told you that Brad, I think I did, but I applied for it and I had an interview and I was going to go on it and it was okay to go. And then I thought about it and I was like, it's gonna ruin my career i don't want to be famous or anything about more care um, i care more about my career than going on a dating show to become famous
1: i don't know if that's true though i think you kind of have we're destined for some sort of fame maybe this podcast will be your entree <laughs> too, and you can combine your career and your fame um i wouldn't not i'm this isn't me i wouldn't go on a dating show i think um most people on those things it's 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 yes it's supposedly unscripted but it's I think it, you can't be unscripted in that environment and you sure as heck can't expect to meet somebody and fall in love. So I would say a big old no for me.
2: Uh if I was single I would do it. If I was in a relationship like Anne, I probably would definitely pass. Um, well I mean before I so I would in a relationship. hope so yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, if so, you were in a relationship, re- re- so, we, we we would
2: have to have a different conversation about that. Did you say that you were invited on one, Anne? Or... No,
0: I applied to be on a dating show.
1: Before Will. This is before, before
2: Will. Before Will. Got it. Yeah, I probably would do it if I was single back in the day. You go, boy.
1: All right, twist. Number two.
0: Okay, so the second one, I was wondering about your love languages and your wise love languages and how do you meet her signs. And I was thinking about my love language and mine is acts of service. And as we are filming this, I told my boyfriend that my throat was hurting and he said, go check your mailbox. And I just stepped outside for a second and he brought me flowers, cough drops, and the sweetest... Little note, and that is definitely my love language. I thought that was the cutest thing ever.
1: Good job, Willie.
2: The five love languages. I own the book. My wife and I have talked about it. She is definitely acts of service. She loves nothing more than when I take the initiative and clean the house, organize my closet, throw away old, you know, donate old clothes, just declutter so, and then, you know, if I go and take on cooking or take on, you know, the grocery shopping, just any of that kind of stuff to lighten the load, give the kids the baths, uh, put them to bed. Like tonight, she's under the weather. Um, she was actually feeling good enough to cook dinner. Uh, but I told her, I said, I'll, I got the dishes, I'll put the kids to bed, I'll you know, I'll give them baths. But I knew that we were going to do this podcast. So, but yeah, she's for sure. Acts of service.
0: I think you know what hers are and you know what to do for her. Yeah, I that um, that's the most important thing.
1: I didn't know there were five actual types of love languages, so I'm learning that now thanks to Google. Oh, um, gosh. Did you just say oh gosh? I mean, come on, what am I supposed to, this looks like I could
0: how long have you been married? It's like this is marriage 101. You have to understand. And how what their long love have you known me to realize
1: I don't pay attention to any of that shit? Well, we, we just do what we do. And are, I,
2: I'm,
1: I'm looking sure at it right now. Right. Margaret Ann's a combination um, of two. Margaret Ann is, and I'm not very good at either of them. So I'm not sure why she's still with me. Um, But acts of service and physical touch. She, I'm a, not a cuddler. Like in bed. Like I'm just, I, if I'm in bed, I want to sleep. I'm not she cuddles with Roxy because I'm not, you know, I'm not one to cuddle. Plus I get hot and I'm like, yeah, look, babe, it's, let's just go to sleep. Um, but, you know, every once in a while the occasional hugs and, you know, I, I will let go of a hug and she'll hold on for a little longer, you know, and I'm like, okay, it's time to break now. I'm not one to do PDA in public. Um, it's not my thing, but I think now that we've been married longer, it's probably evolved more to the acts of service for all the things that you said, Andreson, and that, you know, I women expect us to read their minds, and that's really what acts of service is, is understanding that, oh, that I, I guess it's I need to do laundry, or <clears throat> I should have helped get the kids ready to do whatever, or I could have put Andrew's shoes on. Um, and those types of things would have all... Would have no, probably go a no, tremendously I'm, long way.
2: I'm laughing because I remember th- this just reminds me this conversation reminds me so many early on in Heidi and I's relationship when we were before kids. We used to bicker and we, we still do, right? And, and that's something that I definitely need to work on. It's just not turning something small into something big that it's not and just learning to relax over stuff. But I remember when you said they want us to read their minds. I remember so many times early on, and Heidi's probably just given up. She's like, "He's he's hopeless." She would say, "I want you to want to do the laundry. I want you to want." He wants to do laundry. <laughs> just, what kind of bush is that? Just, I'm like, what do i like, what? <laughs> Dude, see
1: here. Um, so, know, so Margaret and I have had this conversation here, even as of re- recently. Because it goes back to, um, you know, like we took this very romantic 10 year anniversary trip to Paris, France, and I had some work stuff going on. So I was in my phone more than I needed to be. We, you know, we can sit somewhere and not really have to talk and sit comfortably. Right. I think that's always the key to a great marriage. But now, you know, when life gets crazy, especially over the last nine months with COVID, you know, like Life can get stressful when you get stuff going on. But she in her mind has things that she wants to do and I don't know what they are. <laughs> you know, and I try I try to find ways to figure them out, but you know, and I would say looking at this list, words of affirmation, for those of you that don't know, here they are. Uh, Or if you, everybody else knows, and I've been sitting this one out, then sorry. I think
0: everyone knows.
1: Word, no, they don't. Either. Don't know. <laughs> come on. Don't make me feel that bad. Words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time, and acts of kindness. Right. So I would say that my life, lo- I, I have. So I'll kick my coverage. As have you, Andres, and we're learning now. You have too, Anne. Um, that i margaret is an incredible mix of four of the five she doesn't care about gifts which is great she doesn't care about getting gifts as a matter of fact i always give her a hard time um, that she's a terrible gift giver but maybe that says something about me but um i i i'm so lucky i realize that she's now you know where she's a good balance of all of these things and most of them So I got to work on my game, man. That's, that's, that's my job. I think that's
2: why they're such good friends is because I, 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 look at this list too and Heidi also is not, I mean, she appreciates like anybody getting a thoughtful gift, but she is big on quality time and the, the acts of service, as I mentioned, you know, physical touch is one of those interesting things, right? Because guys are more physical, I mean, that's just is what it is. We don't have to get into it, but we're just, we, we are more physical. We saw that. With our boy. And in general, women are more about, you know, the emotional connection, the, uh, the physical is part of it, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, for me, those are, I remember getting this book from a great, uh, couple of ours, friend, friends of ours. They sent this book and I remember we, I think we got it out and read it years ago, and then you know every few years we'll get it out, and it's always a good reminder. This conversation. So, thank you, Anne.
0: You are welcome. you your... can always improve. So, you can always work on things. And
1: what's Will's?
0: Will's is words of affirmation. And sometimes <laughs> I'm not the best at that. So, but I am good at writing things down. So usually, we, usually when we need to have a talk, I will write all my thoughts down and I will send it to him.
1: So Willie needs he needs a pat on the back and some some words of encouragement all the time. Yeah, I would
0: say so. Got it. All
1: right, what's number three? End us on a good one.
0: So question three: What do y'all think the hardest thing? What do you think the hardest thing is from dating to being married? Like, what is that transition like? Is it harder before or after? Is the engagement hard? What's the hardest part from going from dating to marriage? you start this
1: one.
2: (laughs) You want me to take this one? Yeah. I'll take the first crack at it. Man, it'll probably sound... I don't know. I probably if I had more time to think about it, I'd probably come up with something a little funnier and more creative. I would say going from dating to marriage, you know, I'm a huge I'm a big person on the families. Like so I remember when when Heidi and I dated, um, I was really it, it was really important to me to get to know her family. Maybe that happens a lot more now days than it used to. People didn't date for so long, but we dated for seven years. She reminds me of that all the time whenever I ask her about having a (laughs) child. Um, so but you know, you're you're marrying a little bit, you know, to me in my book, you're marrying a little bit into the family. Um and so and that becomes bigger because you're you're committing, you know, for a lifetime. Your financials, uh for me, that was a big one. I came into our marriage or into the later stages of dating with, with debt and i just didn't want to start her with debt so you know i always you know look back on those years and say well i just wanted to pay it all off so finances i mean it's kind of a boring one but that causes a ton of, of stress in uh, in relationships uh and then i'd say also you're you're, the last one I would say when you start to think about marriage is just trying to figure out you know the dynamics of kids we didn't get married until we were all I was probably 30 31 and I knew that I wanted to have you know multiple children fortunately I was blessed and we we have three and Heidi was you know Heidi was down for that but I don't know those are the three that jump out to me
1: I remember talking early in our marriages. You wanted five kids. Yeah, you are insane.
2: Always did, still do.
1: Um, God bless you, and stay away from Heidi. She doesn't deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would say the hardest thing about uh, transitioning to marriage, um, is just getting into the routine and the rhythm. I th- I don't think you have to worry about when you're, when you're dating, like. You know, you just there's the first few years of marriage, in my opinion, are actually the easy years because you're talking about a wedding and then you spend a year talking about how great your wedding was, right? And now you're in the honeymoon phase. And then Mm -hmm. when you're done with that wedding, then you don't have anything to really talk about. So you either decide, Am I jumping into kids? And then when you get into kids, you are only talking about your kids and you're planning for your kids. So you have these, for lack of a better term, projects that are always on the radar. When you get to a point where you don't have, projects um, I think that's when you really challenges your relationship right that's when there's room for bickering and there's room for a break in the communication and we to have to work together as a team on all these different things I think that makes the transition easier so whether it's buying a house or you know figuring out your finances or if you have a project I think that eases the transition so um, I think getting into that cadence is really the hardest thing and you know if you've dated long enough you start to get comfortable and I think you already have an appreciation for how each other operate and how you communicate but you know the challenging years in my my opinion come like right now not that I, we're in a good spot with our marriage but you know it's tough because you're going 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 it's no longer projects mm-hmm. it's just a busy schedule and it's just crazy to try to keep up with all of it and still speak the love language and still make sure that, you know, you're finding time for each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we, right after we, well, actually when we were dating and then those first couple of years, we started family, Brad's right. We spent a lot of time socializing. I mean, I used to see Brad on the week. I used to drink. I used to smoke cigars. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Now I get to see him only through the podcast, but in in all seriousness, one thing that my one thing that my mom said early on, not specifically to us in our relationship, but but it was actually, I think it's it's probably pretty true for a lot of a lot of families or couples, uh is that men marry or date the the girl hoping she will never change. You know, they they want her to be the The beautiful, you know, uh, vivacious, outgoing, you know. I met her maybe in a social setting or in college. Like, they want that. That's what their image is of her. And they kind of want that. And they want her to just always be that. And, And women... You know, they marry they meet a guy and they're kinda like, Well, you know, I, I think he's great and I think he's awesome, but there's these things and you know, hopefully he'll he'll change, or maybe, you know, there's little things that you kinda hope he'll he'll grow out of. And my mom said, you know, it's just like people are kinda who they are and you have to sort of know that going in, it's unlikely people are gonna change a whole lot. Uh, they will here and there, but that's always coming. You're never back.
0: changing, yeah. you're just growing.
2: Yeah. Bridesmaids. Okay. Mitz-
1: no, people change. Get used to it. Get comfortable with it and figure it out. You. Nope, they just grow.
0: It's They're growing. Good. You're growing every day. All
1: right. Good talk with Twist. Way to throw us a curveball there, Twist. See what I did? All right. Yeah, that was good. Let's jump into this week's Final Four. As I mentioned, I believe, I think it was maybe pre-show or in-show. I can't remember. But I have multiple four, I believe, is the number awards for my Halloween costumes. So this week we're going to talk about the best Halloween costume you've ever done. Twist, kick us off.
0: This is definitely my most favorite day of my life. Um, so it actually wasn't Halloween. It was senior day at Clemson, but all the seniors dress up and you like the bar shut down. So it was senior day and me and my friends wanted to be scary and not tell anyone else, you know, all the girls dress all cute, but I decided to dress up as it and then my roommate was the grudge, and I had a moped, and we drove around Clemson's campus, scaring everyone in the middle of May, and it was the best day
1: of my life. Dang. Um. All right. So, Andres, mine, you've been—you know, used to have some epic Halloween parties back in the day. Um, but mine was over at our buddy Hubby's house, and I dressed up as the flying Oleki. I had a full body. This is all I was wearing, a full-body red leotard. Um, I had bedazzled a cape, a white cape that I wore. I grabbed an eight-foot piece of PVC pipe and spray-painted it gold and put my hair slicked back and created a little curly-cue, you know, handlebar mustache, totally greased up. And I was, uh, you know, one of those high-rope walkers, uh, trapeze artists. And uh, it was an instant classic, a championship-worthy performance. Um, And the best part about it is because I was having too much fun um, from the keg, I stayed in character and tried to use the balancing stick everywhere I went, going into doors and walking around people, which made it even funnier because I kept whacking people with this eight-foot-long golden pole. (laughs) All right, Andres. You got a good Halloween costume? What's your best
2: one ever? This go, well, this goes way back. I was when I was little, I was a huge, huge I can't even tell you Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> and so all I wanted to be when I was little was Michael Jackson. And so one I think it was around Halloween, but it doesn't really matter. My mom thought I was probably convinced my dad to take me up to Kansas City and have my aunt perm my hair. So they they curled my hair. I have pictures to prove it. And I came back. I came back, and my mom was like mortified that I had this perm, nice perm in my hair. And of course, I had all the Michael Jackson gear. And so I went to school as MJ that year i think i was probably eight or nine years old that's probably by far
1: still my favorite halloween costume i've ever had i love it it's a good one i'm gonna end you guys on another award-winning one those of you that may remember the show jersey shore from mtv i went straight orange spray tan and uh prosthetic cleavage and went as snooky, pink fluffy slippers and all you
0: are lying picks to prove immediately
1: i will be glad to show you them without any challenge whatsoever i have pictures of all of these (laughs) don't forget to comment share with your friends and let us know what you think about the biz dads thanks for joining us for another episode we'll talk to you guys soon the biz dads are out